The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media US. It's the PR Week Podcast in partnership with Ruderfin on today's episode, AI and the reinvention of communications. AI, I think right now is having what I would call uh, the Netscape moment. ChatGPT is doing for AI what Netscape did for the internet. The most important thing is to have and help people have the courage to experiment and have the courage to engage. I think there are a lot of people who are concerned that these are the kind of tools that are going to make jobs go away. We really do need to hear from all different voices what is happening, what's coming, where can we take advantage of some of these things. Hi there, this is Steve Barrett, Editorial Director of PR Week, here to present this special podcast in partnership with Ruder Finn. We're going to be talking to Kathy Bloomgarden, who's the CEO of Ruder Finn, and also Jonathan Adashek, who's Senior Vice President, Marketing and Communications at IBM. Jonathan is also the inaugural winner of the David Finn Award, which is going to be presented at PR Week's annual Hall of Fame event in December. So first of all, Jonathan, congratulations on the award and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I am honored to uh, win this award. Um, David Finn was a a pioneer in our uh, practice, in our profession, and uh, to win an award named after him, recognizing the great things he did, and to be the inaugural winner, it's uh, I, I still think that you you guys have the wrong person. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but yeah, you're right, David Finn. We've, we've just finished a bunch of content for PR Week's 25th anniversary in the US. And one of those features was PR's forefathers. And, and David was one of those. So really uh, happy to, and honored to celebrate David's legacy. Kathy, David was your father and um, obviously instrumental in getting you into PR, but also he had a brilliant influence over the industry, but also your family, most of whom have gone into PR. So just tell us a little bit about what you wanted to achieve with this award and why why you wanted to set it up. Well, first of all, we're so excited that Jonathan won this award, the first person to be um, awarded the um, recognition, because he truly exemplifies what um, the award was meant to set out to do, which is to really recognize someone who has real forward thinking and leadership and mentorship what Jonathan has done at IBM has so impressed me from the first time we met and we started talking about quantum computing and Jonathan had exactly the right question for me um, about you know where this was going. Um, I really feel like in a world where things are constantly changing, that IBM and with Jonathan has ma- managed to navigate the company through, is we're going to constantly face change. We're going to constantly face transformation. We're going to constantly face disruption. And how do we manage that in a really positive way that, you know, as David said, you know, just because you haven't done something doesn't mean you can't. Well, IBM really exemplifies that. And what Jonathan has encouraged and engaged his colleagues to do is to not be afraid and to always take that, you know, bold step forward and to push whether it's toward quantum computing, whether it's toward, you know, very, very early embrace of AI, you know, which now the world is waking up to, but IBM was really, you know, very, very early on that journey. Um, I think it's something we can all learn from and it's something which will really inspire us. So we're excited about the award ceremony coming up and about Jonathan being nominated for the first award. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Jonathan also is um, a pioneer in overseeing both marketing and communications, which again, IBM pioneered uh, under John Watter as well as a structure. So um, we're going to frame this conversation as AI and the reinvention of communications. So to kick us off with that, Jonathan, talk us through the challenges you faced when in, in facing that evolution as a technological leader, because things change so quickly these days, don't they? That a year on from something that, that was dominating the conversation, things disappear. So you've got to place the right bets as well. And, and really, um, if you're going to have a long-term organization and a structure for the future. Yeah, you know, it is, things, things are changing so much so quickly. And, you know, as I said to people, you can't be a 111-year-old technology company like we are at IBM without sort of evolving your business and evolving your offerings um, to meet the needs that your clients have. AI, I think right now is having what I would call uh, the Netscape moment. ChatGPT is doing for AI what Netscape did for the internet. And if you really look at AI, I think there have been three defining moments of the last 15 or so years. IBM, what we had with Watson on Jeopardy, what Google did with DeepMind, and now ChatGPT. And, you know, at IBM, we've really tried to recognize the transformative power of AI for quite a while. And we're looking more at the enterprise AI applications, not the consumer uh, outputs like a ChatGPT. Um, and, you know, when we really got into it and we're, we're understanding what our clients are looking for, um, a recent study from IBM found 41% of IT professionals are saying their company is exploring using generative AI, but only 27% are actively using it. Um, and really, how do people get to understand what they can do with AI? For us, that is... In, in the comms and marketing team where we are today, that is the big thing we've got to deliver. We've got to bring those examples to life. And it's about what I would say, it's about storytelling and story showing. We've got to take what can be very complex and in many to many people, abstract applications, especially when you're talking about an enterprise application in AI. How do you take those and bring those to life and, and show people how they can use them and the positive impact that they're going to uh, have on, on their enterprises and on the individuals. Yeah, Jonathan, what do you think the biggest differences are in those two conversations? Because that's so true. They're, they're almost like two tracks, aren't they? And of course, the VFN diagram where there's some um, crossover, but uh, they are such, such different um, entities. They're, they're completely different entities. I, I think that there are... If you look at the, the applications of AI in, in consumer facing, it's about, you know, how do I plan a better vacation or how do I get a different answer to something versus the enterprise AI applications? It's really what we're looking at is how do we train AI for our enterprise clients? How do we help them take advantage of opportunities that they have? overcome challenges that they have with with their data and using models and using AI to get the answer that they want. The other thing for us is we're making it in a way that 
you as a, if a company X comes in and does AI with us on a specific use case or to solve a, a specific problem or challenge, they get the benefit from that. If a separate company comes in and wants to deal with that same use case, they don't get the benefit that the other company did because it's their data, it's their application. So it's a very different approach than millions of consumers putting AI or putting queries or data or information into an engine and that engine continues to get smarter, that model gets trained in different ways from the benefit of everybody there, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. And um, then there's the whole sort of IP, protecting your IP and doing it in a secure environment and all those factors, which maybe we can get into later in the conversation. Kathy, you get to, to have a look across the whole of your customer base, so lots of different industries. What um, AI and other digital tools are important to be aware of for those early adopters that uh, Jonathan's talking about in the integrated communication space? Well, the first thing is I'm going to refer back to um, Christopher Minz's uh, column yesterday in the journal where he said the only thing we know for sure is that we can't really know what's coming. <laughs> so back to the point that this is going to be changing so constantly every day that it's impossible to predict where it's going to end up, you know, as AI tools move from sort of memorizing what the patterns they're seeing in the data sets to actually having reasoning um, and being able to actually think through um, solutions for us. So I think that the most important thing is to have and help people have the courage to experiment and have the courage to engage because Jonathan points to a really important point that 61% say that they're going to be using our AI or they're interested, but only 27% are are actually using it today. So that has got to shift and change. There was another, um, I just came back from the Wall Street Journal Tech Live event last week, and one, one of the commentators, and spare him by saying his name, uh, said that the difference between people who use AI and those that don't is going to be between, you know, kind of a human and, and you know, kind of a, an animal species. <laughs> so that there's really going to be a huge gap with um, AI productivity enhancements projected by uh, 2035 to double our productivity gains. So the thing is that we need to encourage people to feel comfortable. A lot of early conversations that we've had with, um, you know, with uh, different, um, let's say, different industries and different you know, companies have really shown a real risk adverse um, perspective as the first response. You know, what are we gonna do about the IP? How are we gonna actually make sure that we're not, you know, there's no data that actually leaks out. There's all the concerns that came to the forefront. How are we gonna make sure we can look at biases that are you know, inadvertently embedded in the data sets? So I think that um, we need to encourage people to move more you know, more confidently into experimenting with, with AI technology because it's not a question of if, it's here, it's happening. And we're using AI more than we even know. It's embedded in the things that we're doing every day. Um, so it's, it's kind of like the wrong question that we're asking. The real question should be, how can we use these tools? What are the day-to-day -day implications? And also to get around the problem that, you know, this is the way we've always done it problem is what I call it. Because even if people are trained on some of the new tools that they can use, if it's going to save them huge amounts of time in terms of summarizing data, in terms of, you know, presenting an outline of content that could be created, coming up with creative story ideas, you know, they're still worried about, you know, going or they go back to their desk and they still do the same thing the same way they've always done it. Yeah, that's 27% is, it feels low, but the other way of looking at it is one in four. And mm -hmm. it, 
obviously we've been using AI for decades. It's the, the generative AI chat GPT part of it that's sort of really blazing a trail. Jonathan, there are doomsday scenarioists, if that's a word, out there, aren't there, who say, oh, what have I invented here? You know, even some of the people who were involved in at Google or, or wherever have, have come out and, and said that. What do you, what's your take on that? And how is that, how important is that with for, for companies to get the proper guidance to use it in the right way, such as from IBM? I think it's really important, Steve. I think that, you know, you've got to use AI responsibly and we need regulations that what we can what we would say are smart regulations regulations that hold the people who are putting AI out there accountable hold the people who are using it to uh, the, the right standards make be have some transparency on where models are coming from and how they're used but also in you have to have regulation that's going to encourage innovation because if you don't have innovation it's going to be done if you don't have it in the us it's going to be done in the uk if you don't have it in the uk it's going to be done in japan or china or pick wherever so people we need to get a a set of regulations that are out there so people understand but then i think the other piece is companies need to fall back on the principles that make them the company that they are. So, I, you know, I mentioned we're a 111-year-old technology company. We're lucky in many regards in the sense that that gives us a great foundation to fall back on. Um, and we understand what makes IBM IBM. And we can fall back on the concepts of trust and ethic, ethics. And those are things that our company was founded on. And sometimes you make business decisions that people look at and go, well, why are you doing that? doesn't make economic sense. Um, but when you really take a step back, it does make economic sense. And it also ties back to who the company is. For example, we got out of facial recognition on AI several years ago. And it was the right thing to do because facial recognition AI for mass surveillance was not complying with the way we wanted to do business and what we were standing for as a company. And we've been okay from a financial standpoint because that has not hindered our business, I should say. Yeah, no, that's an important point. Kathy, what um, Jonathan mentioned, regulation there, and in, in the absence of any regulation, we need leadership and leaders, don't we, who can make those decisions for their organizations. And sometimes regulation then grows out of that. We've seen that in maybe the influencer space or in, in social media. How are you looking at that from a, a leader who oversees a lot of different clients and, and an agency where people are looking to add the most value? What, what would you say about that? So one thing that we did was we set up a tech lab, and that tech lab is constantly interacting with the ecosystem that serves the communication industry, looking at new tools that are evolving and coming up and piloting them and seeing which ones make sense for us. I think one of the things I hear from clients is that they're working hard to make sure that they invite outside voices in. So there's more partnerships, there's more you know, interaction with startups than there have been in the past. That's hard. It's, that's not an easy thing to do. 
because people, you know, tend to silo their discussions with startups or voices from the outside. They they tend to, you know, uh, not necessarily integrate the key learnings across the organization. Um, but you know, again, as as we go through a period where there's constant change and things are going to be really moving and progressing from day to day, that we really do need to hear from that from all different voices what is happening, what's coming, where can we take advantage of some of these things. And that also means, secondly, that we need to, as leaders, encourage people to stretch. That's not easy for people. No matter what you know, cohort you come from, whether you're a millennial, a Gen Z, a boomer, or I don't know, whatever cohort you're part of, you know, each has their own issues with, with stretching, with their job security, with their feeling uncomfortable with risk, you know, with their fear of failure. When you're trying new things out, you're going to fail. You know, you're going to make mistakes. And, you know, we have to encourage people both to trust people that they can experiment. They can actually, um, you know, really dabble in new, new things that, you know, may or may not work out. And that's okay. So I think as leaders, we have a different kind of mandate. You know, we came from the pandemic being, you know, very empathetic and very caring and really taking care of people, making them feel comfortable. Um, and now we have to move into something where we have a whole set of different challenges. In order to grow, in order to respond to the kind of, you know, the, the disruption that technology will no doubt bring, we're going to have to shift the way we have the leadership styles that we have. One thing that I think is really great, I mean, you, you commented on Jonathan's position, which is marketing and communications, which is great because comms shouldn't be a, smart, a soft skill. It has a business impact. So it's great that marketing and comms are integrated. But I would add another one where I know, Jonathan, you have great background, which is politics. You know, it's not just the regulatory aspects of it, it's the diplomacy aspects, because we've got these, you know, the world that's so completely polarized that having people come together who we know are going to disagree, you need really special skills in that. Um, and I think your background, Jonathan, is really exemplary in like crossing over from the political to the com communication to the marketing. You know, it's where comms, you know, really can aspire to evolve to within a, a large enterprise. Um, and that all of those are critically important and only by combining and integrating them together are we going to able really be able to have a, a major impact. Kathy, yeah, thank you for that. It's very kind of you. What I would also say is what you're talking about ties really well to what we're doing at IBM. So we launched last year our, our biggest marketing campaign what I, that I would say in over a decade, which is Let's Create. And it's all about bringing those voices together with IBM and clients, IBM and partners, IBMers with IBMers. You get different voices together so that you don't have those silos and on different expertise, and you can really create amazing things. I think you get exponentially better as you bring more voices in and more opinions to build a plan and execute against it. Yeah, Jonathan, um, Kathy mentioned that sort of political role. It's it's amazing how many senior leaders, and some of them will be honoured at the Hall of Fame as well, have come out of that political environment. Obviously, the sort of fast-paced nature of politics and the 24-7 always-on thing is is a part of that, but the relationships and knowing how the how DC works and how the how things work is also a big part of this as well. How do you tie that into your point about regulation you know, where you can help the government on that as well as uh, be a leader on it. You know, I think that the connection that politics has to what we all do is the, what politics ultimately is, it's just about telling stories as well. 
right? You're just trying to get regulators to, to go the way you want them to, or you're trying to get voters to support the, the cause you're after, um, but you're doing it through telling stories. So I think that taking that understanding of the multiple factors that come in to a political campaign, which sometimes can be, depending on the scale, can sometimes be much more complex than you find in a corporate organization, taking all those factors and putting them together and understanding how you let some outweigh others, you let this issue that comes up spin out and take care of itself and sort of move that, as you said, Steve, that 24-7 always on, focused on the bigger prize, focused on election day. I think that's a great skill for people to have in, in our field. The trick becomes every day can't be election day. Because then you just redline the teams and you burn out people and then you're done. You gotta gotta have a balance. Yeah, it feels a bit like that, doesn't it? Uh, these days, um, literally, it's, the elections are like an always-on thing every day. The other area, I guess, where there's crossover is crisis, and um, AI can play a role in that. Jonathan, talk us through maybe some of the ways that uh, AI can help the crisis comms professional or PR pro dealing or advising their clients on that. Well, I think that as more and more data comes in, the volumes of data that come in, the only way to really start dealing with some of that is through AI. So I'll give you an example of, we sponsor a, a golf tournament in Georgia called the Masters. Um, I've heard of it, even as an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> in a week-long tournament, we'll have almost 40 million incidents that we deal with from a cyber perspective. The only way to deal with something like that is through AI. AI helps to triage these things, see what is, what's real, and figure out how do you prioritize what you're going to deal with. And as you look at that, then that allows the team to also understand how they respond and what they deal with. So I think really a key play place here is going to be how you help analyze the data and sift through all of the data that's out there so that you can make the decisions, take a step back and make a decision based in fact as you deal with a situation like that. Yeah. Kathy, any other practical examples you've come across from you know working with clients or just observing in terms of the way AI might make a difference in, term, in responding? Yeah, two points. Thanks, um, Steve. And I, I think the first question is, Faction analysis, which is really where is the criticism genuinely coming from? Sometimes it's camouflaged that um, it appears that it's, you know, really a barrage of criticism that's kind of widely embraced. But then if you do the analytics more carefully, you can really pinpoint it to a specific group. That's actually the nugget of where this starts. And the second point that's really um, critical is uh, something we call conversation decay. So that we need to understand the curve of the um, of the peak of the volume of discussion, um, because sometimes people say, "Get those comms people in here to fix this problem." You know, go be aggressive. You know, the board will tell the CEO, the CEO will turn to the comms person. Maybe that's why the boss is calling Jonathan right now. <laughs> this problem, whatever it is. Um, but I think the real, you know, factual, the ability to go back to the hierarchy or to the board and really say with facts and data, look, 
the curve is starting to moderate. If we go out aggressively now, we're only going to stoke the conversation and make this even more viral. So we need to watch carefully what the analytics are telling us. You know, is it going to trend down and therefore we take a more moderated approach or is it becoming more viral, more factions getting involved, more connections in terms of issues kind of clustering together, in which case we would need to be more aggressive in, in terms of outreach and in terms of building networks of advocacy. Um, so I think that the, the faction analysis and the conversation decay curve are also two things to really make certain that we keep an eye on. Yeah, for sure. And Jonathan, if you had to give one piece of advice to a PR pro about AI and chat GPT or one extra skill that you need to learn, what, what would that be? I, Steve, I'd, I'd actually say there are two skill, two things that I would push here. I know you asked for one, but I'm... I'm That's okay. Two for the price of one. <laughs> two for the price of one. One is, I think you got to learn how to use the tools and take the time to understand, to use the tools and how those tools are going to augment what you're doing. I think there are a lot of people who are concerned that these are the kind of tools that are going to make jobs go away. Our view is the AI is there to augment individuals, take away some of the repetitive tasks that could be done a lot easier and a lot faster and allowing people to be more productive. But secondly, and I think this is just as important, is you have to learn how to work with each other, with your team, with your clients, once those tools are deployed. Because I think once the, it's not only using them, but I think it's going to cause us to do different things and work differently. So I think you've got to learn both sides of the equation to be successful with it. Yeah, for sure. And Kathy, what about you? What would you tell the people at um, Rudafin? So I have I have two points too, just to <laughs> get two for one. Um, I think that working with partners to really figure out what is the what you're trying to solve um, with the uh, AI execution. So, for example, we were working with an IT consulting company. Um, who's working on supply chain uh, issues, something that Jonathan mentioned earlier at the start. And, you know, he explained to me that the real issue is he wanted to be able to tell when the shelves were going to be devoid of cookies for the cookie company before the retail outlet even knew that they need to reorder. So I think that that, that cookie, you know, story, uh, again, back to Jonathan's point about storytelling is really what carries the day and makes you remember things. Um, I certainly remember why it's important to use AI for supply chain on, based on cookies. So I think that that's really critical. And the second thing is this idea of making sure that you're constantly um, experimenting or dabbling with new tools. We had a session this morning with our team and the question was, are, you know, okay, fine, we have ChatGPT on our phones, but are we using BART? Are we using Bing? Are we using Google search generative, you know, um, experience? Are we using complexity AI? We need to know all these, we have to experiment and really try out all of these tools and see which one works best for us. So there is no, you know, one and done where, you know, you get the thing and it's like, great, I'm using it. Yay, I can raise my hand. I'm using, you know, AI now in my work. You need to be constantly experimenting. Yeah, and I suppose just to finish up, David Finn's mantra, just because you don't know how to do something doesn't mean you can't, is absolutely perfect, isn't it, for this uh, stage in the development of the industry. So, Kathy, just to finish this up, how does Jonathan, our inaugural winner of that prize, embody those qualities? Well, you know, I think Jonathan has a great way in his current role of sort of thinking ahead of where things are going to. And so it's not only that he's trying – 
you know, really encouraging us or inspiring us to try new things because IBM has always done that, but also, you know, really kind of forecasting the challenges that we may lie ahead. Again, an early conversation I had with Jonathan just left me thinking about this quantum computing. And he said, well, watch out for cybersecurity. You know, how are we going to ensure safety? And that was like, for me, that was something I had not really focused on. And I would argue that people still aren't focusing as much as they should. So I think that, you know, knowing that there's, we can, you know, again, Jonathan's thinking about, you know, what we should be worrying about tomorrow, what's keeping us up at night, or what should be keeping us up at night, is something that's really um, also critically important for us as communicators. Yeah, well said, Kathy. Thank you so much for your partnership on this new award. Jonathan, congrats on being the inaugural winner. We're looking forward to celebrating at the Hall of Fame dinner in New York City on December the 4th. So thanks both for a great conversation. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Jonathan.